Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. So it's almost been four months since we've been in the book of John, and so I'm, I'm ready to get back into this book and do some expository preaching. And, and just as a refresher to bring us back to this book, uh, the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John, yes. And uh, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of his top three disciples. And he actually refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. I cannot wait to talk to John and the other disciples and see what was, if there was anything like, you're the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, that was, that's an interesting title that he gave himself. But when it comes to the reason of why the book of John was written, John does not beat around the bush. In John chapter 20, he tells us exactly why he wrote the book of John. He says, now Jesus did many other signs. Now when he says signs, he's talk, we would call them miracles, but he calls them signs because they are pointing to Jesus. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these signs, these miracles are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, here's why he wrote it, that you would believe in him and that you would have life, that we would have life in the name of Jesus. And so the primary goal of the Apostle John is to convince his readers through the signs, through the miracles that are written in this book that were performed by Jesus He is wanting to convince us that Jesus is indeed who he said he is, the Son of God, and that in believing in him, by putting our faith in him, by trusting in him, that we would have life in his name. And in our passage today, we are going to see that Jesus is just hours away from being crucified. His public ministry has ended. He is no longer talking to the crowds. He has gathered to himself those who are most close to him, his precious little flock, his disciples. And he wants to share his final moments with them before his execution. And we're going to pick up chapter 13, verse 1. So read with me. You read in your head. I'll read out loud. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, it's, I want us to see right off the bat that Jesus has knowledge in verses 1 through 4. He has knowledge. He knows that his hour, his hour has come. And he knows that in this hour, he is going to return to his father. He knows he came from the father, and he knows that he's going back. He also has knowledge that in order to get back to Where he came from, he has to go down this road where he will be 
turned in. He will be betrayed by one of his closest companions, one of his disciples. And then he will have to hang on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. He knows this right now in this passage. He knows this. But he also knows that everything is under his power. That's what it says in the the verses I just read. And he could have used his power for anything. Imagine that you had all authority and power in your hands right now. Praise God we don't, right? But just imagine if you had all power. What would you do? What would you choose to do with it? Well, Jesus chose to go to the cross and to love his disciples to the end and to leave them and us an example to follow. So in verse 4, it says that he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, obviously, none of us were there at this event, but I can guarantee you that when Jesus did this, all eyes were riveted on him. You could have heard a pin drop because what Jesus was doing caught them off guard. Now, it's not because he hadn't told them beforehand that you needed to serve one another. He said, you know, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, right? That's why he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But they are self-centered disciples. And this self-centeredness made them blind and deaf to something that Jesus clearly had shared with them. And we know this because in the Gospel of Luke, it says that at this dinner, that the disciples, while Jesus is, you know, sharing the last few hours with them, what are they doing? They're arguing amongst themselves of which one of them is the greatest, which of one of them is the most important tool in the tool belt. And although they had spent three years with Jesus, watching him and be and seeing all these miracles, they still were the center of their universe. Even though this hour belonged to Jesus, they were trying to make themselves the center of it. But Jesus, knowing this, says he loved them to the end. Jesus loves his sheep. Jesus loves his sheep, even when we're not getting it. And he came to paint a picture of what true kingdom love looks like. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's doing in this this passage. And I have no doubt that the disciples 
they would have washed Jesus' feet. He was their master. He was their Lord. He was their teacher. They had followed him through thick and thin. They had laid down their lives. They loved their master because they knew their master loved them. And they also understood that Jesus was above them. In their culture, it, was, it would be common for the lesser to serve the greater. So they knew Jesus was greater than them. So there's no doubt that they would have been honored to wash Jesus' feet. But when it came to washing one another's feet, that is another story. They would have, that would have never entered into their minds. Because, you know, foot washing is a nasty task. How many of you have ever had your feet washed? Just put your hand in the air like you just don't care, right? <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this this morning, and they said, yeah, I've had my feet washed before, but I washed them before they were washed because I knew it was, it was going to happen. <laughs> feet washing was reserved for slaves who were on the bottom of the totem pole. Now, you might have a bowl of water in your home and say, you know, you can wash your own feet, but you would not wash another person's feet. So unless they were greater, greater than you. And so when it came to Jesus, I'm sure the disciples would have been, yes, Lord, I would be honored to wash your feet. We know you're greater, but the rest of y'all, no, nah, I ain't washing your feet. You can wash your own feet. Actually, you should wash my feet because I'm greater than you. I mean, that's, what, that's the mindset that was in this room. And with this uh, worldly cultural mindset, ruling the room, there's Jesus. He knew all things had been given to him. He knew that all power was in his hand. His name, his name should be honored and feared and worshipped. When we talk about the greatest of all time, he is the goat of goats. He's the man amongst boys, the king surrounded by peasants. The son of God come to earth, taken on flesh. That's the greatness of this man above all and those he had created. And what does he do? He does the unthinkable. He removes his garments, dresses himself like a menial slave, and embraces the position of the lowest servant. Philippians 2, 6, and 7 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, right? The king over all became the slave of all. And you know, this had to have been awkward and confusing and convicting. Verse 6 says that he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, Lord, what are you doing? You're the Lord. You're the king. This is, you shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, this really is an appropriate response. Jesus deserves to be served, doesn't he? When we forget that, when we forget that Jesus deserves to be served, we think we're doing him a favor, don't we? 
We think we should be served. That's what the, how the disciples are. But Peter gives, I believe he gives a right response. I don't know where his heart is, but I believe he gives a right response. But you know what? The truth is, is this. There are some of us in this room, myself included, who at times don't like to be served. We don't want to be served by other people. Can I get a witness? Yeah. And it's not because we're humble. It's because we're proud. There's some people that won't let you know if they need help. I'm talking about myself in this because I'm proud. Why? What does me saying I need help show? I'm weak. Right? It shows that I'm weak and that I'm needy and that I'm not in control of my circumstances. And when I realize all that, it wounds my pride. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Listen, verse 7 is a truth that we have got to grasp if we are going to follow Jesus. You might want to underline it in your Bible or highlight it on your phone. Burn it into your mind and your heart. How many times as you've been following Jesus, seeking to love him, that your heart, all of a sudden, things aren't going right around you? You're like, this doesn't make sense. How many times has that happened to you? How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you are there right now? This doesn't make sense. It's okay to say this doesn't make sense, but I want to say dot, dot, dot to me. This doesn't make sense to me. Because, you know, ultimately the cross did not make sense to the disciples. It does make sense to those of us who have believed, right? But at the time it didn't make sense. Who was the one that, that didn't have sense? God or man? It was man. So we need to say, this doesn't make sense to me. But we do say that. What, what are you doing, Lord? And he responds to James. James, what I am doing, you do not understand now. Now you don't. But since you're my child, afterward, you will understand. And you know what? It, it, it's very rare that Jesus ever, if ever, tells me what he's doing in the midst of it. Because he's calling me to a life of faith. And some of us are currently in that place right now. We're saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am in trouble right now. Lord, where are you? Or they're in trouble. I'm praying for them. Why aren't you doing something for them? And he replies, I see it. I know what I'm doing. I got this. Trust me. Walk by faith. What I'm doing you do not understand. But afterward, you will understand. And sometimes it might not be this side of eternity. We've got to grasp that truth too. There's some things I'm not going to understand. But here's a promise. That those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. Those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame. In verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Simon Peter said to him, oh, I love Simon. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. This is classic Peter, isn't it? He's so raw, but he's conflicted because, you know, I think on one hand he wants to be humble, but he also wants to be in control of the situation. Can you relate? He wants to submit to Jesus. He wants to submit to Jesus as long as it makes sense to him. But the problem with that is, is that is not faith. That is not faith. Faith is trusting Jesus even when our circumstances contradict all logic. Trusting that Jesus knows better than me. That Jesus is present and active even when it doesn't feel like it. And Jesus says, trust me in time you'll see. And in verse 10, Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. He's speaking of Judas. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. Now we're going to come back to these verses in just a minute. There are, there are two realities that Jesus is dealing with in this passage. The first is a surface reality. That's, that's basically that we should humbly serve one another. That's something that is a surface reality. But we'll come back to the second reality in just a moment. But in verse 12, John continues by saying, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Jesus does not deny his greatness. He's not, he doesn't deny that he deserves to be served, but he is making a point. In verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's the lesson. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. He's basically saying, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? You want to do what I do? You want to be my faithful ambassadors? Well, this is how you do it. By washing each other's feet. Verse 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. I'm going to read that verse again, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Don't just be hearers of this message this morning but be doers of the word of Jesus. In verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives 
the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You see what he's saying in verse 20? I'm going to read verse 20 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Jesus sends his disciples, right? He doesn't send someone that's not his, his disciple. So if you wash, receive, wash this disciple's feet, what? You're receiving and washing Jesus' feet, right? And if you wash Jesus' feet, you're receiving, washing the feet of God, as it were. When we wash one another's feet, we're serving God, is basically what he's saying there. This is a picture of how we as brothers and sisters, this is the end. We as brothers and sisters should care for one another. doesn't mean we shouldn't care for those outside the church, but listen, this passage right here is speaking to his disciples. How will they know that we're his disciples? By the way we love one another. That's, that's what Jesus is, is again, going over. This is, he goes over with this over and over. Why? If you go over something over and over, it means it's not easy to learn. Now, remember that th there's two, two teachings in this passage. The first is that we should love one another. But there's a, another teaching. It's a, it's a little deeper, and it has to do with the cross. It has to do with the gospel. This, this passage is gospel-centered. Remember, Jesus didn't want, um, Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Remember that section right above? And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, he's not talking about washing Jesus, uh, Peter's external feet. He's talking about being internally cleansed of our sins. He says, Peter, if you don't allow me to cleanse you of your sin, then you can't be a part of me. The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And Jesus is teaching Peter, listen, you are clean. You're totally clean because you have believed in me. And we need to understand that when we come to Jesus, listen, you need to, we've got to get this. We need to understand when we come to Jesus, we don't initially come to him with anything in our hands. We don't come to him initially to serve him. We've got to get this. We come to him to be served by him. That's, that's what we need to understand. Because when we do that, we're admitting we're weak. We are admitting that we are needy. We are admitting that we are not in control and that we cannot pay for our own sins. We're saying our good works are not good enough. But we know that, Jesus, your good work on the cross, your perfect life that you lived and that you allowed to be crucified in our place. We sang about it this morning. The Lamb of God in my place. We're saying, I don't deserve heaven. We're humbling ourselves. And it puts our pride to death. There's no pride in us. Only humility which leads to praise and worship as we trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now in verse 10, it says, the one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. 
What, what is he talking about here except for his feet? Yesterday after the marriage conference, I was talking to somebody. And as I was talking, they went like, they were sitting here and they went like this. And I was like, you know, is, is, is my breath bad? It's kind of like this. In the morning after you eat, you brought, we should brush your teeth, right? And then you enter into the day. Not with your toothbrush. So your teeth are clean. But if you're like me, you carry this with you, right? To refresh your breath. So when you come to Jesus, he washes your sin clean. But as we walk in this world, our feet get dirty. And so we have to learn how to daily walk in the gospel. How do we bring, not that we're getting saved again, but we're renewing our faith, confessing our sin, turning from sin, confessing it, and allowing the gospel, the truth, the word of God, Jesus' work for us on the cross, to wash our feet. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So, as we are learning to serve Jesus, we need to understand and embrace that we're not bringing in anything to him initially. We're receiving. Because when we do, when we receive his forgiveness, this good news produces true humility within us and this desire to serve. Once we've been served by the king, we want to serve. And that bleeds into one another. And according to Jesus, this is where we're going to find our true happiness. Are you happy? I'm not asking you to clap your hands. But are you happy? Are you content? Are you satisfied where you're at? Only you can really answer that question. If you are a child of God, and the answer to that is no, it might be that you need to get back to the cross not bringing Jesus anything, but receiving his love and forgiveness. Your feet might be so dirty that you just need them to be cleaned again and refreshed. And Jesus says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And so let me ask you this morning, how, how have you responded to Jesus? Have you responded to Jesus, not just up here, with your life? Because in verse 12, Jesus says, Do you understand what I have done for you? That's the question I'm asking you this morning. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Because there's two disciples in this passage that I want to look at real quick to show you the examples of one that did understand, one that didn't. Judas and Peter. And you know, I've never met anyone who's named Judas. Parents, as you're looking for a biblical name, you probably want to stay away from Jezebel, Goliath, and Judas. I named my dog Goliath when I was a little kid. He got hit by a car. <laughs> That's not funny. And the guy's name was David. 
I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, he was just dead on the side. I don't know who had hit him. That person didn't even stop. So. <laughs> All right, I shouldn't have told that one. But, you know, um, to be honest with you, when I, every time I read about Judas, it, there's a fear, a true fear that comes in my heart. Um, because there's things about him that I can relate to, uh, or I can see that I can go that way. I'm no better than Judas. And, you know, we all have a nature in us that's like Judas, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And I, and I tell myself, you know, this could be me. But Judas wasn't an ordinary bystander. He had been given the highest position, one of the highest positions known to man. In Revelations, it says that the apostles' names are written on the foundations of the new Jerusalem. It's an eternal, wonderful glory that those of, those, they get to enjoy. And we will too if we re remain faithful. But instead of guarding and cherishing and protecting what he had been entrusted, instead of embracing Jesus, Judas cashed it all in. He cashed it all in for a few hundred dollars. He turned Jesus in. He betrayed him. He didn't take to heart what he had heard and seen. He saw water changed to wine. He saw sight given to the blind. He saw 5,000 people being fed. He even saw Lazarus come back to life from the dead. And, but he didn't allow these signs that John is talking about in this book. He didn't allow those signs to penetrate his heart so that he might believe and be cleansed of his sin. And, you know, if you Google the name Judas Iscariot, typically these sinister pictures come up, right? I mean, it's, it's always this guy with an eyebrow that's like, like, oh, that's obvious. That dude, is, that dude is evil. You know, I could easily pick out Judas. But the truth is that no one at the table suspected Judas. Nobody. And you'll see that next week when, when Terry gets there. He was a trusted disciple. He was trusted so much that they gave him the money bag. But he was sneaky, and he operated in the shadows, and he stole from the money bag. But you know what? Jesus knew this. Jesus knew what, what Judas was doing, although nobody else did. It says in John 6, 64, that Jesus knew from the beginning. He knew that the moment he picked him that he was going to betray him. This teaches us how to love our enemies, right? He still loved him. And Judas appeared to be genuine, but privately and inwardly, he wasn't. He hid his sin. He hid his sin. He, he lived deceptively. He wouldn't come clean. He wanted to live his life on his own terms. And he allowed Jesus and you know what? Jesus washed his feet. He was at the table when this happened. He allowed Jesus to wash his feet, but not his heart. And today, the truth is he is perishing in hell 
And maybe as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and you're saying, that, that's me. That's me. I want to encourage you that you would come into the light today, if that's you, and that you would find life in Jesus and allow him to cleanse you of your sin. Sin grows in darkness, but light exposes it, puts it to death, and brings life. There is life in Jesus. And so that's one of the responses in the room. But then there's Peter. Peter. He's that guy, right? You don't have to wonder what Peter's thinking. Always wearing it on his sleeve, right? He's Mr. Transparent. To a fault sometimes, but, you know, there's a price for being transparent. If you study the Gospels, you'll notice that, that Peter is the most transparent disciple in the entire Bible, right? But you'll also notice that he is the most corrected. Jesus corrects him the most, okay? Proverbs 9, 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. If somebody doesn't want to change and you bring correction to them, they're going to hate you. You will be their enemy. That's what the Word of God teaches. But a wise man, if you reprove a wise man, he will love you. I wonder how much, I wonder how much Jesus tried to correct Judas. If you'll remember when Mary anointed Jesus' feet when Lazarus was raised from the dead? Who is the one that's angry? Judas is. Why? Because he's, look, he's like, all oh, that, my, uh, the poor. He acts like he's concerned with the poor. Hypocrisy, he's covering his sin, but he really wants the money. He's greedy. He doesn't care about Jesus. He's in it for himself. And so he rebukes Mary. And it says that Jesus said, oh, mm -mm. no, no, leave her alone. Jesus rebukes Judas and says, leave her alone. What she did is a beautiful thing. And it's interesting to me that in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, this, is, this passage is there. It says that Judas, when he was rebuked, it says that he went to the chief priests. This is the following verse. He went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him? over to you. Listen, if you don't want to change, Jesus will be an annoyance to you, and you will want to put him to death. You won't want the truth in your life. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. And Peter, man, because he was transparent, Jesus was able to correct areas in his life that would have led him to destruction. Did it sting? Did it sting him? Man, if Jesus called me Satan, get behind me, Satan. Oh, thank you, Lord. No, that, that is not, would not feel good. And you know, correction that leads to transformation is always uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable. But we know that Peter responded to correction. He was a wise man. How do we know? Because if you've ever read 1 and 2 Peter, 
you know that Peter matured into a stable and solid lion of the faith. When I read the book of the Gospels and then I read the book of Peter, I'm like, that cannot be the same guy. But this gives me much hope, doesn't it? That if I will receive Christ's correction as he corrects me, sometimes he corrects me through my wife, sometimes he corrects me through you guys, sometimes it's, I'm in the Word. If I will receive that correction, man, it will sting because I don't like being wrong. But if I will respond to it, something happens inside of me. My pride dies and Jesus lives. And I become mature. I become stable. So if we understand what Jesus has done for us, we will follow him by washing one another's feet with humility and intentionality. And I want to talk to some people here this morning. Kevin, I said I was going to talk to you. But I'm going to talk to the men in the room here, husbands and fathers. Let me ask you something. How clean are your wife and children's feet? How clean are your wife and children's feet because of your ministry in their life? Are you serving them? Or are you demanding that they serve you? Or are you just not even there? You know, the greatest gift that we can give to our families is not the, the, the latest gadget that's come out so that they can fit in with everybody. It's a life that models the importance of knowing Jesus and following him in obedience. That is the greatest gift that we can give our families. And some of you men are sitting there, I know it, because I say this. I don't know what to do. Can I get an amen, gentlemen? All right. That's a great place to be. Because number one, you're admitting you need help, that you're needy. You need a Savior, right? You know what I encourage you to do if that's you? Gather your family around you. And if you don't have any kids, bring your wife to you and say, you know what? I want, I want you to pray for me because I don't know what to do. I, I, I do that with my family from time to time. And, you know, you would think that doing that would cause them to not respect you. But actually, it does the opposite. It helps them to relate to you more. Okay, Dad. Oh, my husband. Listen, husband, your wife sees it anyway. It's not like, she, oh, really? I didn't see that. She's been telling you, but you can act like it was you, you and God. Right? Admit it, and then pray together. Pray together. I think I've said this before, but there's never been a time that I've said, honey, you want to pray? And she went, nah. She wants to pray with you. She wants to see you struggle with God. She does. I promise you. It's okay. That, and she may be ahead of you. That's okay. God will give you growth if you'll take his correction. Now, wives, you're not getting out of this one. Okay? How clean are your husband's feet? What are you washing them with? Encouragement? Or correction of every little thing that they're doing wrong. Not that any of you would do that. 
Are, are you encouraging them when they get it right? Because listen, your voice, ladies, listen, your voice next to God's is the most influential voice in your husband's life. Is it music to his ears or is it fingernails on a chalkboard? Do y'all know what a chalkboard is? Okay. <laughs> y'all have seen a whiteboard. It's like, that's not bad. We need, we need encouragement, right, men? Listen, this is your chance to amen something. Amen. Come on. Young people. Young people. I want to remind you of something. There is this voice in your head that is telling you that you know everything. Now, let me start over. Young people, I love you. I love I do love young people. I love it because the one thing about that, I'm off topic here, but I'm going to do it anyway. I love young people because, you know, young people, you can kind of like shoot it straight with them. With adults, it's like, you know, I saw this in your life and I've been, but young, that was stupid. What are you doing? You know, and they respond, right? So young people, I love you. But there is this, this, this voice in your mind that's telling you, that you know everything. And the reason I know that is because I was a young person at one time and I knew everything. If you are a parent and you thought you knew everything, can you raise your hand? And but you look around. This is not a new, we're old, okay? That voice has been around a long time. Don't believe that voice, okay? Don't believe that voice. Don't believe that voice. Learn to wash your parents' feet. You know how you wash your parents' feet? By being humble and teachable. And here's a big word, obedient. Hmm. You may be saying, well, I know more than him. It says when Jesus was 12 years old, that he was in the temple where he was supposed to be. And his parents go, what are you doing? He said, I was in the temple where I was supposed to be. They're like, come on home. And it says he submitted to them. He obeyed. Jesus who did know more than his parents. You want to wash your children's feet? I mean, your parents' feet? Tell them you're proud of them. And if you're not proud of them, it might be because you're proud. God has put your, your parents in your life to be a, a blessing to you, to help you. Young adults, whose feet are you washing? Let me give you an idea. I, I encourage you to find a single mom or a young couple with little kids? How do you know that you found one? Because they're, they're like, they're barely here, right? They're not even paying attention to the message because they've got little kids. What would it look like if you said, you know what, I want to wash their feet by once a week giving them a night out, and I'm going to come over and serve them? Wow, that was louder than all the men at one time, so. And I'm saying, push yourself in there. Don't take no for an answer. I promise you, you won't have to push yourself in. But lead by using your singleness to serve others to the glory of God. Married couples, how about washing some singles' feet? 
by opening your home, not to use them to be there. Hey, let me help you uh, serve me by washing my feet, by taking care of my kids. No, by adopting them. Adopt somebody. And here's how it would look. You bring them into your family and have them over once a week for dinner. Not to watch your kids. You're there too, okay? <laughs> not just to watch your kids. Get to know each other outside of these four walls here. Give them a safe place to be able to express what they're dealing with and to get, be able to give sound counsel. Bottom line, make, grow, unleash gospel-centered disciples. And a healthy church understands that foot, foot washing takes humility. It takes sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. Listen, it's going to cost us something. If we're going to obey Jesus, it's going to cost us something. We've got to understand that. The cross costs him everything, and it costs us something, and it's going to require intentionality. The Spirit of God is putting things in your mind right now. Listen. And above all, it's going to require that we grow in our understanding that the, of the love that Jesus has for each of us. Because as we allow him to wash our feet on a daily basis, we will grow in our love for one another corporately and it will be displayed to the world as we wash one another's feet in meaningful sacrificial and intentional ways amen, amen. let's pray